Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. And so we started a series on soul winning uh, last week because this is something that I feel that God has impressed on my heart as we move into this, what I feel is a new season for our church, a new venue, a new, a new space, a new community that we are able to reach in this area. I feel like God is calling us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this city, the voice crying out in the wilderness that is telling people, that is declaring the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And so I really believe that more than ever before as a church, as we head into our seventh year as a church, that this is gonna be a year where we step into that victory of seeing souls saved. And can I just have, I don't ask for amens often, but as an actual amen, not just good preaching pastor, can we actually amen to that because that is our future? Can we have an amen? Amen. Come on. We, it, amen means it shall be so. We stand in agreement that there is a great harvest that God is going to bring in. And it's not about Anchor Church. It's not about just building one community. It is about building the kingdom of God. It is about seeing God change lives. And this is something that we're all called to. You're a part of it. We spoke about this last week, and I encourage you to go and listen to last week's message online because it set a foundation for this series of us being soul winners and how we can reach into people's lives and God's heart where He says to the disciples, look up. We need that message. We need the look up message because so often we're looking down. We're looking at whatever we have to do right now, whatever is the business of the day, whatever are the things that we need to get through. And we're too busy looking down at our own things and our own preferences and our own needs and our own desires to actually see the harvest. Jesus says you are, you're lacking perception and perspective because what you see is your little world and you don't realize the harvest is ripe. Look up, see the harvest is ready. It's white, it's ready for the, to be harvested. And so it's our turn to go out and to reap and to bring in that harvest of souls, to connect people to heaven, to share the gospel, to share the good news, to bring the goodness of God to the people. When we had our birthday service here just a few weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that we're stepping into that promised land. It's not our promise, it's God's promise. It's the promise that He gave for us. We always say that our church doesn't have a vision. God's vision has a church. We're a part of that vision. There's a promise that God has given us that He wants us to step into. And what is the promise about? He says it in Joshua 1. He says that you would cause these people to inherit the land that I have given to them. So there are people living out there today not knowing that they have an inheritance. Can you imagine living poor your whole life only to find out when you're on your deathbed that you actually were a very, very rich person, that there was an inheritance that you never claimed? Many, many people live never claiming their inheritance. Why? Because nobody told them. That's our jobs, church. We gotta get people to inherit what Christ has secured for them on the cross. And so I've been super passionate about this, you know, creating an encounter where people can have that experience where they encounter Jesus. We believe if you're here today and you've never had that encounter, that even in this space, you can encounter Jesus today. That you can hear my human feeble words, but through 
these very plain words that I speak to you today, that God's Holy Spirit can impress those words, turn them into supernatural arrows that, that pierce every bit of armor that we put around our hearts and actually cause you to feel the presence of God today. That's what we're believing for. And as we share the gospel, we believe that, that God is going to empower our words, our actions, our love, our acts of service, our church services on a Sunday, our community groups, everything that we do to make Jesus known. Amen? Come on, that's what we're all about. We want people to encounter Jesus, not just you know, some religious ideas, not just some philosophy, not just a, a service on a Sunday, um, but to encounter Jesus himself. Um, so at the end of the Gospels, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. And then in Acts chapter one, just shortly after that, just as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he says to them, he speaks to, to those that are standing there, not just the disciples, but all that had gathered in that moment. And he says to them that you are to be my witnesses, but wait in Jerusalem until you are endowed with power. And this power is the power of the Holy Spirit. And then once you have received the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be with my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and that includes Joburg here today. That includes your community. That includes your family. That includes your world. That includes wherever you are from nine to five every day. That we are able, we are the ones. Everybody can do this. Everybody can share their faith and be the ones to take that message out. And so uh, th this kind of sets up where I want to go with my message today. I'm going to start off in Acts 3, verse 1 to 7. I just want to read this a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me from Acts 3, verse 1 to 7. And I want to share a message with you today entitled, What Have You Got? What Have You Got? Acts 3, 1 to 7 says this. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple, literally a beggar. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He just, he's just wanting a little bit of cash. He just wants some change. He just wants some coins. How many of you are like perpetually frustrated when, when you know, a car guard has looked after your car and you're like, I, I don't have any cash, right? This is literally Peter and John's. They, all they had was Snapscan or Zappa. Um, I, asked, I asked the guy the other day at the, you know, at, the, at the traffic lights, I asked him, do you have Snapscan? And he said, yes. And I was like, you really? I was like, wow, okay. This guy's organized. This is a business. So I took out my phone and then I found out he didn't know what Snapscan was. So, um, so the point is, is that, is that this is kind of the same situation. There's a guy begging and Peter and John walk by. And how many times would we just ignore those kinds of people? How many times would we ignore those that are asking of us? How many times do we overlook people? They just kind of blur into the background. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Look at us. There's a connection happening here. There's Peter and John recognizing, seeing this person, not just as a beggar, not just as somebody asking for a handout, but seeing the value of a soul. And not just wanting to address his immediate need, which is a good thing to do, but, but there's something so much more. You have a greater need in essence. 
There's a greater desire of your heart. What you need is wholeness. What you need is healing. What you need is redemption. What you need is salvation. Recognizing, look at us. Connect with me here. I want to preach. Let me just finish the scripture. All right. Um, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. There's an expectation. He obviously thought that he was just going to get maybe some money. He's like, oh, these, these guys are in. He's like, I just asked. And they said, look at us. He's like, oh, today's my day. I'm going to have a big lunch today. But he's expectant. He's expectant that he may receive. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. What I do have, what have you got? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, Jesus said, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then you will go and be my witnesses. Are we even aware of the power that resides in us to be able to bring the salvation and the redemption and the healing power of God into people's lives, even if we've just met them strangers begging at the streets. We've got something greater in us. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. My question to you today is, what have you got? What have you got? What has God done in your life? Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within you to allow people in your presence, through your gaze, through your attention, to encounter the Holy Spirit? This is what we need if we're going to bring people to Jesus, not just a religion. You know, let me just say this. We're not asking people to switch out their self-help program, their secular self-help program for a Christian version. It's not just another self-help philosophy. It's not just try harder to be better. It's the power of Jesus. We can't change anybody's life, but we can cause an encounter with the Holy Spirit that will change them for eternity. And that's what we've got. I want to pray for us. And then I just want to expound on this just for a few minutes today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, that right now you can begin to stir up within us the faith to know what it is that you have deposited within us. The, the power that resides, that works, that is at work within us, that, that works through us, Lord God. That, that you can take our simple words sown in weakness and raise them to be supernatural uh, ability, Lord God, in people's lives. Supernatural encounters, Lord God, that it's, that it's raised in power. Lord God, we thank you that you give us opportunities, Lord, to, to be able to make an impact in people's lives. But today we thank you for your word and how it equips us, how it empowers us, and how it causes faith to rise up in our hearts to be able to do the things that you have ordained for us to do. And we give you the glory for that in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen, Amen. Have you ever seen uh, the footage of World War II and some of the engineering that went down uh, it, during that time, some incredible, uh, you know, just out of necessity, the things that were developed and designed in order to participate in the war and try and get the edge 
on the war, as much as that war was being fought on the front lines, as much as the trenches were being built and the, you know, the guns were being fired, behind the scenes there was a far greater war which was fought between engineers and designers and developers because whoever could de de develop or design uh, or invent the best plane, the, you know, the fastest tanks, the, the most firepower, whatever it may be, would potentially get the edge in the war. And I'm always fascinated by this engineering and how people just take practical ideas and then convert them into something that turned out to be really effective in warfare. And one of those things is something called a dam-busting bomb. Anybody ever heard of a dam-busting bomb? It's the coolest way to drop a bomb, all right? If you're going to drop bombs, I'm not saying dropping bombs are cool. I'm just going to say if you're going to do it, then this is a cool way to do it, all right? And, and, and that was actually an airplane, a bomber that would fly over a dam towards the dam wall and would drop a cylindrical bomb that would basically become a skipping stone on the water. And as the bomb would drop at speed, it would spin, hit the water and skip one, two, three, four times and then make impact on the dam wall. And obviously upon impact, it would explode and blow up the dam wall, causing a flood, all right? Now, I use that as an analogy for something that happened in my life about 10 years ago. And it was the skip, skip, skip boom that pretty much caused the most trouble for me that I've ever been in when it comes to ministry, when it comes to preaching the gospel, preaching a message, and, and, and getting into trouble for it, right? And I won't go into all the details of what transpired during that time, but there was a few skips, a few contact points as God was making contact in my own spirit, in my own heart, in my own theology that then led to that bomb making contact with a wall that just blew everything up and then there was a flood and, 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 and it was chaos. And it was a moment that, in hindsight, I'm so grateful for because it allowed me to understand what it is that Jesus has done for me and what it is that Jesus wants to do in other people's lives. It resulted in a flood, a rush of water. In the Bible, a flood is often a symbol. One of the things it symbolizes is an attack when the enemy comes in like a flood because it wants to, it wants to, just absolutely uh, do everything it can to drown out that message, the importance of that moment. And this specific moment became the absolute core, not just of the message that I've preached since then, not just of my theology, but of my identity, who I am and who I believe I am in Christ. The impact on the wall, the moment the bomb went off, was a message that I preached. I preached this message back in, I think it was 2011. I preached this message. And this is the message that got me into real trouble. It was at a youth conference that I was speaking at down in KZN. And the theme of the conference, and this is where the trouble started. The theme of the conference was the fire of God. The fire of God. The whole concept was be fervent, on fire, zealous, glowing for God. How many of you have heard pastors say, you've got to be on fire for God? You've got to be fervent. You've got to, and you know what? The Bible does say that. The Bible says, be fervent. Pray fervently. Serve the Lord with fervency. It's, there, there's supposed to be some, something burning inside of you. This is not supposed to be mechanical. 
It's not supposed to be going through the motions. It's not, definitely not supposed to be religious motions or duty. There's got to be a fire burning inside of your heart. And they asked me to speak on fire at a time when, when, when I had discovered the source of that fire. And I couldn't wait to share it at this, mess, at this conference. Um, have any of you ever heard of the Far Side comics by Gary Larson? Hands up if you're a Gary Larson fan. Jeez, it's me and Peter. Oh, a couple, couple, couple of people. Okay. Um, so the, Gary Larson, I, I picked up um, a book of his, like a cartoon book in a bookstore um, when I was about 14 years old. And it was just these, it just taking normal concepts and then just adding like one or two, you know, words to it to create kind of a comic thing. And, and it's probably dated now in terms of comedy. I don't know if it'll be as funny in the year 2021 as it was in the year 1998 or whatever it was. But, um, but I loved these comics for a long time. And one of the concepts that he explores um, is, the, is the concept of trouble brewing. So I've got two examples here for you today. Uh, I can just put those up there. All right, so here you've got Ed's Dingo Farm and then Doreen's Nursery next to each other and Trouble Brewing. Over here you've got the Falconers Club Meteor and Across the Hedge 12th Annual Teacup Poodle Fancier's Picnic Trouble Brewing, all right? Um, and he had a couple of other ones. He had one with like a skydiving club and next door to that, the Crocodile Farm Trouble Brewing, right? So, so this is just the idea that when you put two things together, um, it's going to cause some problems. I've actually, talking about dams bursting, got one more of his um, that says, the Institute for the Study of M Migraine Headaches and Floyd School for Marching Bands, and then the dam bursts. Um, the trouble is there. So clearly, clearly not that funny anymore. But um, the point is, is that, is that if I could do my own Gary Larson comic today, I would put Adrian studying the Bible a youth conference on the fire of God, trouble brewing. Okay, that was pretty much what was, that, was, that took me a long time just to say that, but it was awesome. But anyways, um, but you see, the thing is, is that in my life, I've always been a passionate person. I've always been somebody who has been intense. If I do something, I want to do it all the way. That's why I'm very selective about the people I invite to play golf with me or watch rugby with me, especially if it's Springbok rugby. There needs to be like a, a, an inner circle of trust before we can do those activities together, right? Because you might see a different side of me. I'm, I'm, I'm especially intense, though, about what I believe in. And so I intently and intensely preach the message that we've got to get serious about the fire of God in our lives. We've got to get serious about our walk with God. We've got to get serious about our response to what He has done for us. We've got to get serious about all these things. And I heaped responsibility on people without equipping them to carry that responsibility. I only had half of the recipe, and it was the second half. It was not, it, it was not where things were supposed to begin. Yes, we've got responsibility. Yes, we've got to have the fire of God. Yes, we've got to be fervent. Yes, we've got to do what God has called us to do. But where do we find the ingredients? Is it within us just as human beings, just to be righteous? Well, well, then why would we need Jesus? And I only preached the second half of the message until it brought me to the end of myself. I had the desire to lay down my life for Jesus and to do whatever it would take. But it brought me to a place where I ran into the end of myself. 
where I realized that I have to do something to try and reach the standard consistently. And in doing so, I burnt out, completely burnt out. I burnt out trying to please God. I burnt out trying to be on fire for God. I felt that that fire, have you ever tried to make your own fire in the bush and for whatever, and then the wood is wet or, you know, you didn't use the right kindling or whatever, and, and just doesn't matter what you do, you just cannot keep the thing alight. My relationship with God started to feel like that. I just couldn't, can this thing just stay alight for five minutes, you know? Anybody ever felt that way? Like, come on. And, and so oftentimes we don't reach out to our world because we don't even know if we've got enough fire for ourselves. I don't even know if I'm winning at my relationship with God. Now I'm going to go tell somebody else about it just so that they can get stuck in the same struggle trying to be on fire for God. And this is kind of, you know, where I went to. But still, I just determined in self-will, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, do, I'm going to get it done. I was very much like Peter who made comments like this one and commitments like this one to Jesus. In Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered, answered Jesus and said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. That, that is so me, right? That was it. Everybody can fall away. I will never fall away. I'll never, I'll never give up. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, and, and I just love how Jesus is like not even moved by Peter's great statement of commitment. He goes, uh, Peter, man, I've got to tell you about before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times already. Jesus is like not even surprised. Like, Peter, listen, dude. I know, I, 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 I appreciate the fact that you're super committed here, but you're going to fail. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, he doubles down. I mean, creator of the world just told you what's going to happen. You're like, no, no, no. You might be the Messiah, but you're wrong, you know? Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, he says. So then Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, takes Peter along. He's like, oh, Peter, okay, come, let's go. And Jesus is, he knows his hour is, is, is coming and he's feeling sorrowful. And he knows that when you're feeling sorrowful, when you're feeling burdened, the best thing you can do is pray. So Jesus wants to go and pray. In verse 38, it says, then, Jesus, then he said to them, Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. What Jesus is saying is pray with me. Watch in the spirit, pray with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. And he comes back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. I love this. And he said to Peter, <laughs> Peter just said he would die with him. He would never deny him. I'll die for you, Jesus. If everyone else falls away, I'm there. He says, so you can watch with me one hour? How many of us are like, well, we'll die for you, Jesus. Okay, can you pray for an hour? No, Jesus, I just need to go and sleep a little bit. Like maybe after a nap. I love that. Just made the big commitment. Fails, first thing. Forget about denying. You can't even just stay up for one hour and pray with Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. You're in the most significant moment in all of history. You can stay up for one hour. I'll die for you, Jesus. How about you start with praying for one hour? Peter, fast asleep. The issue here with Peter is the issue that we have in the church, the issue that we have with multitudes of Christians, including me at this time, at the time that I was going through these things. And honestly, today, it frustrates me that I'd never got this before. It frustrates me that I preached for years before this penny dropped. It frustrates me that many pastors still don't get this. 
And this is the issue. This is what it comes down to. This is what I want to talk to you about today. The idea that we think that we are supposed to fuel the fire of God as opposed to the fire of God fueling us. Right? Oh, I've got to stoke the fire. I've got to stoke the fire continually every day. Stoke the fire. How about you let the fire of God stoke you? Set you alight. Yes, we fan into flame the gift that is within us. I'm not discounting any of those scriptures, but that's speaking about something different. That's speaking about recognizing God's gift in you and making sure that you're passionate about pursuing the call of God on your life. But when it comes to the motivation of your heart to reach out, because you're sitting here going, yeah, soul winner, that's for pastors and preachers and evangelists. Guys like my friend Casey here, who's about to move up to the northwestern corner of Zambia with his two young kids and his wife to the middle of nowhere to go and reach the unreached. We think, oh, it's, it's up to Casey. It's up to the pastors and the preachers. But it's because we're lacking the fire that comes from, from God, from knowing what Jesus has done for us. Have you read the story about the burning bush? In Exodus 3, verse 2 to 3, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. You know why the bush didn't burn? God didn't need the fuel of the bush to keep his fire alight. Directly thereafter, he reveals himself to Moses as I am. He just is. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need some twigs and some leaves for his fire to be ablaze. And it's a strange sight because Moses said, surely the fire would need fuel and so it would be consuming at the same time. You see, so many times in our lives, we think that if the fire of God comes, it's gonna burn us up. It's gonna take away from us. It's gonna take away the energy. It's gonna, we need to put energy in in order to get a return of heat or flame or fire of power. But God doesn't need your energy to burn His fire. His fire becomes your energy. Does that make sense this morning? We've got to know the fire of God in our lives. I was in a session with a pastor this week online. I do sessions and, and, and pastoral training things. And, and I was on a session with a pastor this week who quoted a verse from Leviticus 6 verse 13. The NIV puts it this way, the fire, now it's going back to the Old Testament and, and how the, those, the priests serving in the temple needed to keep the fire burning. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. I mean, I read that scripture, I already feel the pressure, man. I'm like, geez, this fire's gonna go out. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've heard these words. I just feel far from God. I just feel like, you know, I can't get closer to God. I just feel like I'm not doing enough. It's not doing enough that you need. It's believing enough. It's believing in what Jesus has done. And the moment I realized this, I realized that it's not up to me to stoke a fire that's dying, but to direct one that's blazing. Because that's what Jesus has done. My my problem is that, and our problem is that we think that Peter's motivation 
is going to give us Jesus's result. Peter's, I'll die for you, Jesus. We think that's going to give us the result Jesus wants. But then I realized that dying of yourself, that giving your, denying yourself, to, that dying for Jesus actually means that you stop trying to please him in your own strength and you submit and receive his grace that gives you the ability. And you know why this is important? Let me say this side note. You don't need grace when you're in agreement with Jesus all the time. Let me, let me qualify what I mean by that. Submission isn't submission until you disagree, right? If you don't disagree with somebody, then what is submission then? You're just submitting to yourself because you were in agreement. Where submission and grace come into play, and the Bible actually tells us this, it says grace is stronger because God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God in James. So in other words, for you to say, yes, I, I submit myself to God and, and I receive God's grace and that's all good. It's all fine until you disagree with Him. Let me give you an example. An example that is close to all of our hearts is giving. We all say, oh, we submitted to Jesus. Okay. Then give of your finances. The Scriptures, New Testament calls us to be givers, to be generous. Pray about your giving. How much should you give? Some people are like on 0.1%. If we were going to land on a number, at least the Old Testament started with 10%, but as New Testament spirit-filled, grace-empowered believers, it could be a lot more than 10%, but let's just say 10%. Let's just say that I said to everybody here today, the minimum that God would be speaking to us about giving would be a 10% of what you earn. Ah, yeah, no, I'm not so sure about that. Now the question becomes, can you submit? Can you submit when you disagree? When it's actually going to cost you something? And what the Bible says is, when we do surrender to God and we just do what He says, when we just obey, grace empowers us. The grace is there when we submit. You won't lack. You won't be able to outgive God. And so in this very same way, we need to come to a place where when God says to us, I want you to share the gospel. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a recommendation. It's an actual command. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mm. I'll see, maybe I'll post something on Instagram once every year. Just a quick thank you, God, or something like that, you know? Like a celeb receiving a reward going, I just want to thank God and, you know, a hundred other people. Can you submit to the Great Commission? Because when you do, the grace will be there. So this is actually something. Jesus said, follow me. What's the first thing that will happen if you follow him? First thing. I'll make you fishers of men. There's a mission. And so we need to submit, submission, get under, sub, the mission. Get behind the vision. Get under the mission of God for your life. It's what you were created for. And when we do it, we, find the, we don't get burned up in the process. The fire of God actually fuels us up. We receive blessing. We receive reward. We receive grace. We're bigger than ever 
in the lives that we live because we simply submitted to the call of God on our lives. Just try it. Just try it. See what God will do. See what God will do if you take simple steps of faith. We think we can get Jesus' result, though, (laughs) with Peter's motivation, but it simply won't work. I know this because I was Peter. I was the, I will lay my life down for you. I will never deny you, bravado follower of Jesus for many years until I ran into the end of myself. I burnt out on stoking the fire. But then eventually I felt like my fire went out in about July, 2009. And in that moment, God started to ignite an everlasting fire in me. And by the time I had reread my Bible and written and taught about a 40,000 word study guide on the book of Romans and heard the voice of God speaking into my heart regarding my identity and, uh, and, and just was completely consumed with reading everything I could about the gospel from guys like Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon and Watchman Nee and, and anything I could find that spoke into this revelation that God was giving me at that time about what the gospel really was. By that time, I got invited to speak at a youth conference. Skip, 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 boom. It's time. This is going to happen. So I brought the book along. So this is my book that I've had for years that I, I filled this book with my, my sermons. Um, this is before like Evernote and like iPads, okay? So this is like old school. You can see, I mean, this thing doesn't even work properly. But, um, but this is where I used to write my messages. All the messages I preached in those early years, I wrote down in here. And right towards the end is the message that I preached at that conference. The title of the message was, Do You Believe the Gospel? I'm obviously not going to preach this, but let me just read my notes for you. I said, I'm excited to be here, excited to preach this message. A message that changed, renewed, refreshed, and overwhelmed me and set me alight for Jesus. I'm more in love with Jesus now than I have ever been. You're here because we're talking about being fervent, being on fire, being zealous, glowing. Nothing has made me more fervent, on fire, or zealous than this message. Nothing. I thought I knew this message. I thought I knew what it was all about. But it took a time of tragedy in my own life for God to teach me this message. Not as a story, or a doctrine, or a lecture, but as a fire burning in my heart. It is the only message I'll ever preach. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that can set us free. It's called the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done for each of us. Because it's all about Jesus. All of creation preaches this message. Every book in the Bible declares this message. It is the message of the Spirit. It is the message of the church. Come to Jesus. Do you believe the gospel? That was just a little bit of the intro that day. Didn't know the repercussions that would come from that. I lost my job on the basis of my theology. I lost my income, my home, 
and many of my friends as a result. I was officially disqualified as a minister. And when I was like, oh, he's being dramatic, they sent letters to churches to say, he's disqualified. Don't hire him. Don't have him preach at your church. I was outcast. He's a heretic. Did the fire go out in that instance? Did I give up preaching the gospel? It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a fancy message. It was the fire of God inside me. It can't go out. You, give me, you can lock me up, chop me up, do whatever you need to do. I'm, that fire will not go out. Because it's not a religious idea that we are trying to share with this world. We're not trying to get people to buy into a system or join an organization. We're literally, have you ever taken, when you're making a, a fire for the braai and you light one piece of, of, the, of the, you know, the fire lighter and then you pick it up with the tongs and you light another one? That's all we're doing. The fuel's there. It's ready for the fire. We're just saying, I'm on fire. Here, you want some? You want some of this fire that God has enlightened in me? It can't go out. You'll burn with passion for this message, for souls, for lives, to see lives changed. It just gets brighter and brighter. Here's the source of the fire. John 1 verse 4 and verse 9 says, In Him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The true light. Not the Old Testament stoking, Oh, geez, guys, we better not let this go out. The true light which enlightens every man was coming into the world. So Jesus became to me that eternal flame that flame that constantly burns in my heart. I love the ESV translation of that scripture I mentioned earlier, Leviticus 6.13, because it, it just says it like this. It says, fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. This won't go out because we're no longer trying to keep the flames alive by obeying the law. That fire is alight because of Jesus. And it empowers us to do everything he's called us to do. And so you might be wondering, how is this relevant to being a soul winner? But Jesus said this, Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So my question is, what is a witness? You will be my witnesses, Jesus said. But what is a witness? The definition, dictionary definition is a person who sees an event take place. You actually see it. You actually experience it. You actually hear it and know it personally. Did any of you see Jesus resurrected in 30 AD? Anyone around back then? So none of us were personally present on the day to see Jesus resurrected. So how can we be witnesses? How can we be those who have seen who have experienced, who have heard. How can we share as witnesses to our city, give testimony? Like a witness in court will give testimony and say, I was there. I have firsthand knowledge of what took place. How can we have firsthand knowledge of the resurrection? The same way that Paul became a witness. On the road to Damascus, he encountered the resurrected Christ. Jesus had already ascended into heaven, but in that moment, he stopped Paul in his tracks, 
and spoke directly to his heart. In that moment, Paul recognized this is the Lord. Whoever this is, this is God. He was dead set against Christianity. It's so intense that his blindness becomes apparent and his physical eyes are unable to see. And he is led by the hand into the town of Damascus. And then God calls a man by the name of Ananias. You know what the name Ananias means? It means grace. And when Ananias came and laid his hands on Paul, when the grace of God touched Paul's life, it says something like scales, the blindness that existed before. The law is like a veil. Religion can be like a veil that fell off of his eyes and he was able to see. And all of a sudden, God's grace touched Paul's life. And what does Paul want to do from there on? What, what is, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He receives that same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost that Peter and the other apostles had received. Now he's encountered Jesus and the grace of God has touched his life and he can see. So what does he want to do? It tells us in Romans 15, 20, he says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He went from wanting to persecute those who believed in Christ to preaching him to those who had never heard of Christ. And so my question is, what have you got? Have you got an encounter? Have you got a personal experience with who Jesus is? Because we're not asking you in being soul, soul winners and God is not asking you in being a soul winner to manufacture something that you don't have. You know what that's called? It's called inauthentic. No, what has God done in your life? Share that. Take that. How is the fire of God burning in your heart? Take that fire and use it to make a difference in this world. I was pretty melodramatic as a, as a, as a high schooler. Um, you know, high school sentimentality. And it's my early days of just being on fire for Jesus. And I went on a grade 11 camp. And at this camp, they kind of decide who's going to be the prefects and who's going to be head boy and all those kinds of things. And um, so I'm out there, but man, I don't care about anything or, or any situation or like anything going on in this camp. I just want to share the gospel. I was a little bit obsessed. I sat on that bus all the way to the Drakensberg and I just, one person after another, just shared the gospel, just shared the gospel. Just everybody. You guys can play uh, behind me. I'm going to close. These guys are like, he's going on forever. Um, I'm about to close. But I shared the gospel with all of my mates. And you know what? I would see me pick arguments. You know, I'd be, I was like a Paul in the synagogues. You know, I was like, oh. So I saw, I saw one guy wearing um, something around his wrist that was from another religion. I was like, oh, what, what does that do? We're standing at the obstacle course, about to climb some swinging tires. Oh, what does that do? No, you know, this is just, I believe that this is, if I wear this, then my God will. I'm like, that's cool. I just ask my God. He does it for me without me having to wear that thing. I was picking fights left, right, and center. Eventually, the one night, 
<laughs> this is crazy. I haven't thought about this for years. The one night, this one guy was struggling. I'm like, call him out. Let's pray for him. And the, the, there was like a lawn and then like, it was kind of like a semicircle and all the dorm rooms looked out onto that like grass. But it was late, it's at night. Everybody's kind of in their dorms, in their rooms. I get this guy out and I pray for him. And it, it wasn't a manufactured thing. It wasn't a weird, he didn't even believe in this, but he fell over. And some people were watching through the window. The next morning, they said I punched him. <laughs> I got back to school on that Monday. I walked in to school. And where there were groups standing and talking, everybody stopped and looked at me. And that was my first taste of persecution. People stopped speaking to me, stopped greeting me. My entire grade decided together that I shouldn't be a prefect as a result of how I forced my religion on people. And they went to the principal and the grade head and requested that I wouldn't be uh, a part of the prefect group. I had one friend who ironically now is a worship leader. His name is Andrew. Andrew, if you're watching, you know it was you. I walked up to him at break. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? He looked at me and he turned around. People stopped speaking to me and it wasn't as fun. He was like, oh, cool. I'm, you know. I remember running down to the rugby field after one afternoon at school because I was about to burst into tears. People just, and they started making, and the stories grew. Apparently I was calling the Jewish guys Satanists and you know, all kinds of other things. And I remember they sent the deputy head boy at that time. His name was Wesley. He came up to me and he's like, hey man, because the, the previous year's prefects would also vote. He said, hey, we want to vote for you, but we need you to stop talking about your faith. We need you to stop forcing your religion. And I remember getting all that high school sentimentality vibes. I'm almost tearing up and I'm like, hey man, if you fall in love with a girl, wouldn't you tell everybody how you feel? I'm like, I'm in love with Jesus. Vote however you want to vote. You're going to have to put, and this is literally what I said, you're going to have to put a bullet right here in order for me to stop. So do what you need to do. A little bit dramatic. But I haven't stopped telling people about Jesus since then. And they all decided they weren't going to vote for me. And I remember people coming up to me, we're not voting for you. And I said, I don't care if you don't vote for me. God will vote for me. You cannot believe how upset that entire school was when I was announced as head boy of that next year. Come on. Just so you know, I don't tell people I was head boy all the time, all right? Just so like, that's not a thing for me. I'm way beyond that. But in the context, it works. When I went up to go and, you know, receive that head boyship in front of the school, guys tried to trip me on the way up. You see, there's a, there's a bigger battle that ensues. There's conflict, there's opposition in the spirit. When you are going to start sharing your faith, the devil doesn't care if you're a Christian as long as you're not one that's on fire. As long as you're not one that's actually saving other souls at the same time, because then you become a problem. So what is his job? If he can't get you away from Christ, which he can't, he can minimize your impact. 
And I think he's done a pretty good job. Probably better than we care to admit. Because all he gets us to do is get focused on ourselves and we're no longer making an impact. I'm not okay with that for my life. I'm not okay with that for your life, for your call. And I'm not okay with that for our church. We are called to be soul winners. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But it starts with a personal encounter with Jesus. So if you're not sure where you stand on that personal encounter, I want to encourage you to put yourself at the feet of Jesus and become aware of the fire that he has placed inside of you. The fire of the gospel that will enable us to take that message from Jerusalem, your own world, your own family, your own friends, your immediate surroundings, to, to Judea and Samaria, going on beyond that to people you don't know, to people that you're simply associated with or that you meet in everyday life, and even to the ends of the earth. Wherever God may send you, you will be able to bring the light of Jesus there. Sharing the hope that you have is actually super simple. Just take that hope that you know. Know your hope and then share it. Know your hope and share it. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning as we pray?